Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Well, good morning. How many of you glad to be in God's house today? Amen. Amen. Me, me as well. Man, it's so good to see you guys. You're looking good. And then again, this eye is kind of fuzzy today, so I don't know. One of you got it. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> guys are like, He's, you're way too serious today. Way too serious. Well, we are here uh, in this uh, Old Testament survey. We've been in this since the beginning of uh, 2018. And we're moving through the Old Testament from beginning to end. We've been taking these books uh, in the Old Testament chronologically. Um, and so you'll notice, especially lately as we're into the minor prophets, that we're not taking them in order of the table of contents as they appear in your Bible. I figured since we, most of the year was spent taking the books chronologically, we would continue that. And so we've, uh, in this Love Does series, it's titled Learning to Love Difficult People, it's, a, it's an interesting topic because, uh, you know, a lot of pastors, when they, they set up a sermon, it's often week to week. And so, you know, whatever he or she is going through, they kind of preach on. And so you, you, uh, you think, oh, well, what's going on here? These sermons have been set for months. And this is the reason why I love moving through the Old Testament, because when you get to a topic like learning to love difficult people or sex or tithing or any other kind of touchy topic, it just comes up naturally and there's not necessarily a given reason for it. And so today we, we continue that. I'm building on the sermons that, that John Wilson and, and Nate Teaglin had started. They, uh, John, two weeks ago, he shared in the book of Jonah about loving our enemies. And then Nate built on that last week from the book of Hosea, talking about loving the unlovable or even the unfaithful. And what a powerful set of sermons that was. And so I continue today, and I'm talking from the book of Micah, okay? That part of the, your Bible where your pages are probably stuck together because it hasn't been opened in a minute, okay? So if you want to turn to Micah, we're going to be there. Um, and I'm talking about speaking the truth in love today. Um, that's a phrase that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians. And so the general idea is this. How do we confront a difficult person about their poor choices, especially when their poor choices are creating collateral damage in your life or other people's lives? How do you confront them in a way that pleases God and gives them the best chance to change? Okay, Because ultimately what you're hoping for and what you're going for is for a renewed relationship between them and God and them and you so that you can continue moving forward together. And so we're going to learn about that. And so my question is, when have you had to confront someone about their bad attitude or actions? Were you nervous? What did you say? Uh, How'd they respond? And what would you do differently if you had to do it all over again? You know, those conversations are never easy. I I know personally, I've been the recipient of several of them. I I told my wife what what I had to preach about uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and she started laughing. She goes, I don't even need to study. After 15 years of being married to you, I could preach that sermon right now. 
<laughs> I, I started laughing. I thought that was seriously funny. And so, um, yes, I, I've been the recipient of several of those, uh, those talks, not just from my wife, uh, but from other people, whether it be mentors or bosses or my dad. Um, I remember one time, the only time I've ever been let go from a job, I was, I was 20, maybe, no, I was 18. I just fresh out of high school and I was hired um, at my Uncle Tom's uh, factory. West Michigan, where I'm from, is, is famous for making furniture. And so I was working in a, in a furniture factory. And uh, they, they said, hey, you know, we're going um, to be here on Saturday for like 10 hours. And I said, I won't, you know, and, and I'm going to be at the beach. <laughs> and he said, really? And so he said, I'm going to lay you off. And I said, okay, that's fine with me. I'll go do something else. Well, I got home and, and I, my dad, he, uh, he had words for me. It's often, it's, uh, it's interesting how the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like Steve Jones sometimes, you know? <laughs> and so I went back to work. I was there Saturday for sure. And so I say that just to say, I, I've been on the side of those, those difficult conversations. And you know what? The, the, the important thing to remember is that these types of conversations, while we dread them, and we would rather avoid them, right? I mean, that's what most people do, right? They, they switch up their routine somehow to minimize the amount of interactions they have with this difficult person in their life. But really, I think what God wants us to see through the book of Micah is that these relationships can be, or these opportunities, these conversations can be opportunities for growth, not only in our own life, but in the other person's life as well. And I know I've, I've grown uh, significantly from these types of, of conversations. Um, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Those conversations, yeah, absolutely. Someone once said that interactions with difficult people are like tedious encounters with porcupines. I call them pokey people, okay? You don't have, to, you don't have a clue how to be around them without uh, getting a, a, a quill stuck in your butt. Okay, maybe not literally, but hanging around with, with these people long enough, I, I'm sure that we would rather pull a, literally pull a porcupine quill out of our behinds than to have to continue to deal with them sometimes, right? And so we, we, uh, we have these pokey people uh, in our lives. And so the, the real issue is this, is that there are difficult people everywhere, okay, everywhere. And difficult people tend to create difficult circumstances not only for themselves, but for everyone else around them. And so uh, when we, or when they metaphorically or literally shoot us in the behind, okay, how do we confront them about their behavior in a way that is pleasing to God and gives them the best chance to change? And the Apostle Paul refers to this as speaking the truth in love. Well, it turns out that this um, difficult people are not a new phenomenon. It's not like something that just popped up. Okay, they've been around for quite a long time. In fact, today we're going to consider how an Old Testament prophet named Micah dealt with some seriously difficult people in his life. And, and they were not only making life difficult for themselves, but for everyone else around them of whom Micah was one. I mean, talk about some serious collateral damage. These difficult people had brought on to everyone in that community and in that nation this massive judgment, and the Assyrian army had come and was burning towns and killing people left and right. In fact, Micah's entire town and family were destroyed. Talk about getting shot in the butt. Talk about pokey people, right? This was some serious, serious collateral damage. And so let's check 
uh, out his story together. Turn to Micah with me this morning. It's back towards the end of the Old Testament, just uh, seven chapters long. Probably only takes up about five pages in your, in your Bible. And you turn there with me. And we're going to start in Micah 1. And I'm just going to kind of move you through. This is a little bit different setup for me today than I typically do. Uh, usually I like to walk through something and then come back and apply it. But I'm going to apply it first and then walk you through it as we go. Okay, so we're going to walk through this, this uh, entire book here. Uh, don't worry, it's not going to take all that long. So while you're turning there, let's, let's understand Micah, who he was, uh, where he lived, and kind of when he lived. So Micah was a prophet to Israel and Judah. They had split into two kingdoms at this point. Um, he lived somewhere right around 750 to 686 B.C., just to give you an idea of some other world events that were happening in that time, Homer began writing the Iliad and the Odyssey. I remember reading that in high school? So he was writing it about the same time Micah was ministering. And the Great Wall of China was getting built at that time. So this is when Micah lived. So I'm going to illustrate Micah's message uh, as I go. And so I'm going to start him out right down here. best I can here. How many of your drawing is like no farther beyond like stick people? Yeah. Get a different marker here. So we're going to start Mike out right down here. And I read this book. I've been working on this message for probably a month. I knew what I had to preach far in advance. And I, I started reading through his story. And I'll just be honest. When I started reading this, I was kind of like, what? What's going on here? You know? And as I read it more and more and was praying about it, the Lord, I felt like, spoke to me to start looking at his story in terms of a timeline and putting each segment in past, present, and future categories. And so as I did that, this, what I'm about to share with you, started to evolve and started to come into view for me. And basically, what we find in Micah's message is this conversation protocol Okay, if you have these at work, I have them at, at work at the school where, um, where I teach. And so whenever we have to have a difficult conversation, usually having some sort of protocol is useful because it just guides the conversation. And so what I'm going to give you today is a, just a, a set of guidelines or a protocol that you can follow as you begin to speak uh, to difficult people, especially when their poor choices begin to spill over into your life and you're like, I've had enough, I need to talk about this with them. And so we find Micah, first of all, in the present. So I'm going to put past, present, and future up here. In chapter 1, we find him in the present. So here's the application and then I'll, I'll involve Micah into this. The first thing you need to remember is, is, and the first thing we learn from Micah's message is that difficult people create difficult circumstances. This is Micah chapter 1. This is not only true for themselves, but for everyone else around them. The people living around difficult people may not even be difficult themselves, but because of their association with this difficult person, their own lives will be negatively affected. This was true in Micah's case. Micah was witness to the uh, Assyrian conquest. I mean, terror was everywhere. So we find him right here, terrified. His home is being 
burnt down. His family, relatives, friends are killed. Not necessarily because he was sinning or doing anything wrong, but simply because he was associated with the people who were. And so his family, he's suffering because of other people's poor choices. And so he's terrified. He's looking around at everything that has happened. And this makes him very sad and mad. Sad mad, right? How many of you have been sad mad because of the difficult circumstances that someone else creates for you? And you're frustrated. And you're like, man, I didn't even do anything to take part of this. And their life, their junk is spilling into my life. Quit it, right? And this is exactly where Micah is. Micah is, is actually lamenting in chapter 1 and showing how frustrated and, and uh, sad and he is by their poor choices. And so how did he and how do we stop the damage from progressing further? How do you confront someone about their poor choices that are making your life miserable? How did Micah do this? Okay, and this is where this uh, conversation protocol comes in. It, it goes first to the past. And so Micah is here. It's like he's dropped into the, the first scene of an action movie. There's bombs and exploding and people running around and screaming. And so he, he and others around them are like, why is this happening? How did we get here? That's kind of the question. And so he goes to the past, first and foremost. He comes back here. He comes back to the past. And here's the application. It's that difficult people need you to be frank with them about the reason why they and those around them are experiencing these difficult circumstances. This is Micah 2 and 3. And if you want to flip there and begin skimming while I'm kind of preaching here, you'll start seeing some of the things that he talks about. I mean, when he confronted these difficult people, he did not mince words. He did not mitigate. He did not give them room or make them read between the lines. He simply told it like it was. And he went to them and he starts out talking to the people, all the people in general, and just laying it out there. Guys, listen, this has come upon us because of your poor choices. Listen to some of these poor choices he mentions in chapter two. You dream up wicked plans. You abuse your power. You covet and steal people's homes. You walk around proudly. And you know what? You, you don't want to listen to convicting preaching. You, you want people. It literally says you want people to preach about beer and wine. He mentions that in chapter 2, or verses 6 and 11. What, you, you want people to preach and anything that supports the lifestyle that you're in. This is how you've gotten here. And the same is true for us. When, when we're confronting someone, especially when their poor choices are spilling into our life, we need to go to them and just spit it out. Be right to the point. No mitigation. Tell them truthfully, but without mincing words. Why they are where they are. This is the only way to cut through that self-deception. See, these people, you'll read in, two, in, in chapters 2 and 3, they don't think they have a problem. They don't think anything's wrong. They're complacent in that. In fact, they say, God, God is okay with what we're doing. He's okay with what we've been, all the poor choices we've been making. And he goes on to say, no, he's not. And he has to get right to the point. And the same is true for us. And so, 
in the midst of this confrontation, let's, I'm gonna, you'll see me go over this several times and hopefully it lets, helps you sink in. So we find ourselves sad and mad. Someone's poor choices are spilling into our life, making our life miserable. We have to go, we confront them. We get right to the point. We tell them why this is happening. And, but even in the midst of our confrontation, this is key, even in the midst of our com- confrontation, difficult people need us to remind them that despite their sinful and selfish past, there's still hope for them. Despite their sinful and selfish past, Micah came to them in chapter 4. Let me add those chapters here. This is 2 and 3. This is 1. He goes all the way up to the far future. He goes way into the far future and he says, listen, despite all of this sinful and selfishness, there is still hope for you. God has a plan for you. This is Micah 4. And he outlines this time that that, uh, evangelicals uh, generally refer to as the millennium. He talks about how God has peace for you. He has prosperity for you. He has all these wonderful things. In fact, he goes on to say, there's no more war and there's no more poverty. There is this very bright future ahead of you. And at the center of that bright future is Jesus during his second advent. And so I looked at this as the Lord was showing me this. And I thought, how wonderful when we are experiencing these negative consequences from someone else's uh, poor choices and we go and we confront them even though in the midst of our confrontation, we need to give them a glimpse of their future, of what it could be, that there is hope for you despite your poor choices in the past, despite your sinfulness, despite your selfishness, and despite the current set of circumstances, God has wonderful things for you. There is hope. Someone said uh, that optimism, a person's belief that tomorrow will be better than today, is the faith that leads to achievement and that nothing positive can be achieved without this hope. You see, hope is the only thing that can pull a difficult person from a destructive lifestyle. And this is where the love part of speaking the truth in love comes in, okay? Because when you confront difficult people with the truth but don't do so in love, then you give them no hope and therefore no reason to change. Do you understand what I'm saying? Without hope, there is no reason to change. Instead, your condemnation causes their hearts to further harden. And so while your intent is good, the consequences of your actions are bad. You're speaking the truth, but it's leading to opposite consequences. You see, confrontation without love is condemnation. Confrontation without love is condemnation. And can I just share something with you? Condemnation never changes anyone's life. What's that verse in Romans chapter 8? What does Paul say? Verse 1. And therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not condemn you into the faith. He loved you into the faith, did he not? He said that we only know love because he first showed us love. He loved us. Paul says, when we did not even love him. 
that he laid down his life for us and took upon himself the burden of our sins. He loved us into the faith. He did not condemn us because he knows that condemnation never changes lives. Um, He modeled this. Uh, Perhaps uh, the most powerful example in the New Testament is found in John chapter 8. Could you just flip there with me? John chapter 8, verse 1. Very familiar story. John chapter 8, verse 1. We find Jesus in the street, out with people. It's just a regular day. Until the Pharisees show up with a woman they caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her and they throw her down right in front of his feet. And they got this test prepared. They're trying to catch him in something. You see, the woman was sinning. And both the Pharisees and Jesus confronted her, but the Pharisees did so without love, right? Look at that story with me real quick. John chapter 8, verse 1 says, um, verse 4, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? What do you say? We're ready to stone her on the spot, They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. And so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Notice that um, the Pharisees' condemnation did not change the woman's life. Now look to Jesus. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So Jesus, can, in a, a, a way only he really could, he confronts the woman about her behavior, but he does so in love. And that led to, we're assuming, a change in her life. You see, and it's the same thing that gives the person hope when we have to confront them. It's the same thing that gave Israel hope when Micah confronted them. See, hope is built on chances to change. Is it not? Hope is built on chances to change. And Jesus, when he confronted that woman... And Micah, when he confronted Israel, and when we have to confront someone, when their poor choices are making our lives miserable, we have to give them hope because hope is a chance to change. Remember, what is our ultimate goal? Our ultimate goal isn't to put them in their place. Our ultimate goal is to help them renew their relationship with God and our relationship with them, correct? It's this restorative restorative goal. And so if that is truly our hope, then we have to give them a chance to change. How many of you are following me so far today? Following me. We're going to take a five-minute stand, stretch, and share break, and then we're going to come back to the back half of Micah's message. Here's what I want you to share, and there's a reason for this. This, I'm I'm working on how I can integrate this better into um, maybe a a workshop or just a kind of a one-day event for us. But one of the most critical skills that you and I can master as Christians is the ability to share our testimony in about two minutes. Concise sharing of our testimony. And I'll share, tell you why this is important to our 
uh, what we're talking about today. So here's some questions to guide you, all right? I'm going to give you one minute to find someone to talk to, okay? Maybe somebody from this side of the church, the other side of the aisle, okay, right? When did you make Jesus the leader of your life? How old were you? Where were you? And what did you do and how did you know that your relationship with God was right? What, what sense of confidence did you have? Now, if you're here today and you're just kind of checking out the f- faith in Christ and you don't have a testimony, that's okay. I think, personally, it would be really good for you to hear a couple testimonies and just hear about the wonderful things that God has done in people's lives. It may help you uh, in your personal choice as well. So I'm going to have you stand up. They're going to give us a beat back there, okay? Stretch out a smidge. And go find someone to share these questions. We'll leave them up on the screen so you can refer to them, okay? Let's go. I hate to interrupt these wonderful conversations. Uh, With a show of hands, how many of you heard a testimony just now that blessed your heart? You heard some good stories that just blessed your heart. I just want you to know, guys, that... Our testimony in, of the wonderful things that God has done is often more powerful than any sermon that I could preach, okay? It, it certainly can't, can't replace, you know, the written word of God, you know, um, but coupled with it, I believe it's a very powerful thing and it goes a long ways to changing people's lives. And so um, as we come right back into Micah's message here, we see him... We see him dropped into a a very difficult situation, not because of his own doing, but because of the difficult people around him and their poor choices. And so they and he are like, why in the world is this happening? How did we get here? So he confronts him. He he does not mince words. He gets right to the point. He says, man, you're sinful, you're selfish lifestyle, those poor choices, that is catching up to you. You are reaping the consequences of those things. So you really should not be surprised. Remember what Paul said in Galatians? He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And if he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap destruction, right? Corruption, I think, is what it actually says. But if he sows to the Spirit, then of the Spirit he will reap life. And so he goes from there and he says, listen, God has this amazing, amazing future for you. It's kind of far out there, right? It's nearer for us when we think about the second advent of Christ but for these people back in, you know, 700 BC, it was quite a ways away. And, and we're talking like, what, 2,700 years between us and Micah's time? Okay, and so he's saying this is the far future. God has ultimately got this awesome plan for you guys. But there's hope in the near future. How many of you know that distant hope is nice, but near hope is better, right? Distant hope is nice but near hope is better. And so he comes back just a little bit to near hope. And this is chapter 5. In chapter 5, he he tells the people that, that yes, the Messiah is going to come and set up this this millennial kingdom, and that's far in the future, but he's going to come a lot sooner than that. He's going to come a first time. And he gives in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And, and that's, for these people, that wasn't all that, that far in the future, especially compared to 
the uh, second advent of Christ. And so through this, by giving them some near hope, I can just start to see that, that flicker of hope begin to rise in their hearts. And this is where we come to our conversation. Remember, this is, these are guidelines. Micah's message gives us a guideline when we need to confront someone about how their poor choices are making our lives miserable. This is it. It says, difficult people need you to remind them that change is closer than they realize. This is exactly what Micah did. See, he was telling them and he's telling us, just as we're going to tell these people that we need to confront, that change is only one good choice away. Change is only one good choice away. And it's easy to forget that, especially when the person has been acting like an idiot, right? It's hard to remind people of that because you're sad, you're mad. You're frustrated with them, right? But this is where speaking the truth in love comes in. We need to remind them that Change is only one good choice away. And the very first choice that anyone, especially if they don't know the Lord, can make is to express faith in Jesus Christ. And so out of a faith in Jesus Christ, our relationship with God is renewed. And out of that relationship, our other relationships can be renewed as well. Which is why I believe that this is the place where we can interject our testimony. This is the place... We, when, especially if, if we have a captive audience and that we can tell they're really uh, uh, appreciating what we're saying, this is where we can share, listen, I've been on the other side of this conversation myself, and I want you to know that, that Jesus has changed me. He has done a work in me. Man, if you knew me then, if you could see me now, look at, you would see how much I've grown. This is where we begin to kind of empathize with the person. Because just like Nate said last week, we are difficult people. We have all been difficult people at one point in our lives, especially without Christ. And so this is the place where if we can have uh, uh, our testimony down to two minutes or less, and it's very concise, that I believe it can do a lot of good, especially in renewing relationships. And so Micah, he's sharing that hope is nearer than you think, and um, this, for these people, this was good news, especially if they have has been witnessing their homes and their relatives uh, being destroyed and killed and their livelihoods just being wiped away. To know that God loved them and had a near hope for them despite their past, that was a relief. That was a relief. And it was uh, what kind of spurred Micah's next part. So he begins to say, listen, God has a far future, he has a near future, but it's going to require you to change your mind. And so he comes to chapters 6 and 7, back to the present. He comes full circle, back to the present. Oh, that's a terrible five. Let's try that again. And he says, change your mind. Difficult people need you to help them take first steps into their new reality. Because they're going to be overwhelmed as they begin to realize, oh man, I did make some poor choices. And wow, I really want to move in the direction that you're telling me. God has this hope, this future for me. Change is only one good choice away. 
they'll be overwhelmed. They won't even really know where to start. And it's your job, just like it was Micah's job, to help them take their first steps, okay? And here's why I talk about changing your mind, because change becomes dynamic when it becomes specific, okay? Vagueness breeds confusion and causes change to stall. So you have to get specific in your recommendations, just like Micah did. And when we look at chapter 6 and the first part of chapter 7, you will find that his first steps start in people's homes. The first step to changing your mind begins in a person's home, in that difficult person's home. It begins there and it flows out into their business. Those are the two things that he, that he says. He says, listen, no more lies. He tells them, speaking to the difficult people and just like we're going to have to do, listen, you want that future? You want to have a change in your life? Then no more lies. No more pretending like everything is all right, because it's not. Do you know what I'm saying? If you've been there and if you've had this conversation with someone, then you know that this is the biggest hurdle. To get them to tell the truth and to take responsibility for their situation is huge. Even though it's obvious to you, for them, it's a big, big deal. And so Micah comes to them, back to the present, and he says, listen, Change is not easy, but if you tell the truth and you take responsibility and you begin in your home with the people that are closest to you, things will begin to get better. And you will begin, they will begin to move towards that future, both near and far that God has prepared for them. And so as he is finishing up the conversation, he moves from here, and this is key for us, and I, I love this. I didn't go into this study trying to discover these things. I didn't pull this out of a book. This is just things that the Lord kind of showed me as I, I studied. I'm going to go just like this. He goes back to the future. Ah, oh, that's funny. Back to the future, except he's not with Marty McFly. He goes back to the future, and he tells them, listen, uh, God will or has forgiven you. God will or has forgiven you. If they repent, if they're there and saying, man, I have been an idiot. I have made mistakes. I am making life difficult for other people. Lord, I apologize. And, I apo and they're apologizing to you. That is the, uh, a perfect time to remind them that God has forgiven them and that he will help them change. You know... Taking responsibility for past sinfulness and selfishness is a scary thing to do. It, it, it is, it, it's scary because it's like you're breaking through this self-deception that, that these people have had forever. Forget them, to get them to admit the truth and, and to say they're sorry um, is a whole lot easier when they know that God is not mad at them anymore. Do you know how many people think God is mad at them? A lot. But he's not. He's not mad. He wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on the cross for us if he was mad at us. No one gives up their only son if they're mad at him. I have two sons. I tell you, I wouldn't, give, I wouldn't even think about it if I was mad at somebody. I can't even comprehend that kind of love. I love my boys too much. But God gave up his only son. 
And so we need to remind people, just like Micah did, that listen, God, when he forgives, he truly forgets. Let me show you a couple verses. Go to uh, Micah 7, verse 18. Micah 7, verse 18. Have you ever heard of the oft quote, uh, often quoted statement that God will cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness? Have you ever heard that phrase? This is where it comes from. Look, where it, Micah is speaking to God in the presence of all the people, he says, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. We sang about that this morning. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. That's where that phrase, into the sea of forgetfulness, comes from. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors long ago. You know what? When we have to confront someone about their poor choices, we need to finish our conversation on that love note. Okay? The truth isn't enough. The truth part is over here. When we tell them, listen, your, your poor choices are making life miserable for me and for other people. But notice that most of this has to do with hope and God's forgiveness. And here's how you change. And he will help you. And I will help you. And do you, you get the sense of restoration there? There's no condemnation. This is, man, I'm, I'm right alongside you. I've been where you've been. And I want to see this improve. I want us to continue walking forward together rather than apart. And so I look at this as just an awesome framework. And I feel confident as we use this, as we kind of work through the conversation in this way, that, that we give ourselves a, the best chance to, to see that relationship improve. Now, Micah's story, uh, unfortunately, it, it also illustrates that even though we follow this, even though we use this like Micah, Micah did, there really isn't a guarantee that the other person's going to change their mind. In fact, Micah confronted these people and he did this in, in, in love. It, it was like a couple hundred years later before it actually sank in. And they went, oh, oh, God really does love me and I really have been acting like an idiot. Okay, it finally sank in. And so my caution as I wrap up here this morning is, is first of all, don't wear rose-colored glasses when you do this, okay? There's not a guarantee, but at least you can walk away from the situation with peace in your heart knowing that at least you spoke out in love. There wasn't condemnation. You, you told the truth, yes, but most of it focused on hope and love and you tried to help the person and you were looking for a renewed relationship. Um, the second thing is this, uh, to remember, I, I would recommend, and I'm sure Micah did this, we don't, we don't read of this explicitly, but you better be praying prior. And I would even encourage you to fast. Fasting means that you take a break from eating for a minute. And um, even a lunch or a, a breakfast or something, whatever you can do to devote more time to prayer if you and I walk into a conversation like this without prayer, I, 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 we're just setting ourselves up for disaster because the flesh is going to come out and that sad madness is going to come out and you're going to say things that, that's going to get the conversation way off track and, and it's just going to explode in your face. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I have too. And so um, 
we need to make sure that we are praying and even fasting prior to this. You know what? Um, lastly, I'm here to assist you guys. And what that means is, you know what? If you're here and you're like, man, Pastor Mike, you, this is really relevant. I need to have a conversation like this with my spouse or my son or my daughter or someone at work, my boss or my employee or someone in the community or a friend or somebody. And um, I just want you to know that I'm here to pray with you or fast with you even. I don't even need to know the details. If you shoot me a text or send me an email and just say, hey man, be praying for me. I got to have one of those conversations uh, this week. I'll just set aside some time to, to, to agree with you in prayer. So how many of you followed me this morning? You know where I'm at? Was this beneficial to you? Hopefully you find it beneficial. Next week we're starting a new series called Enduring Faith as we continue through uh, the prophets. Um, and then in December we have our Advent series called God With Us. And so um, after that is uh, the last five, four or five sermons of the uh, Old Testament. We talk about rebuilding, restore. That's in January. And then we're looking from there to start the New Testament first Sunday in February. Okay? So would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Would you just, if you could, take the hand of someone next to you, unless it gets you in trouble with your wife. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We commit ourselves as a congregation to speaking the truth in love. We know that these conversations are never easy, but they do lead to growth. And I pray that they really would. I pray that you would go before us uh, when and uh, if we have to have these conversations, Lord, I pray that you would, oh, just give us your heart on the matter, God. It's so easy to, to uh, get off track. But we pray for um, genuine, a genuine desire to see the relationship restored, not only with, between us and that difficult person, um, but between them and you as well. And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. And we pray that you would give us the, this, just bring this to memory, Lord, as we have to have these conversations periodically. We thank you for Micah. We thank you for the message that you outlined uh, in his book. And uh, we thank you for the hope that you give. You've given each one of us a chance to change. And for that, we are all eternally grateful. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you shake somebody's hand on your way out? Or give them a high five or a hug or something. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.